0: Sentinels of Freedom is a national nonprofit organization that supports severely wounded post 9 11 veterans complete their higher education with its Bridge for Education scholarships. Veterans receive comprehensive personalized support, financial assistance, financial planning, and mentoring to achieve success in their post military careers. We treat this as an investment, not a charity. What they'll bring to communities and the economy across our nation in their after-service careers is an invaluable fact, and our return on investment. Our donors can take great pride in the fact that they are helping these veterans who served our nation honorably and sacrificed so much to reach their objective of self-sufficient lives. Now, here's Mike Conklin, the founder, chairman, and CEO of Sentinels of Freedom Scholarship Foundation. This is Mike Coughlin, Chairman of Sentinels of Freedom. Welcome to Veterans Never Stop Serving, our podcast series that highlights the individuals who have graduated from our Sentinels of Freedom Bridge to Education. This is an opportunity to talk with these graduates, veterans, wounded and injured, who we call Sentinels. We talk to them about their journey, motivations to join the military, what they did in the military, their injury and Rehabilitation, transition back home, and on to education and career opportunities. So today we have Josh Smith, United States Air Force, excuse me, thirty-nine years old, and was a tech sergeant with the special operations wing and the Air Force fifty eight special operations wing. Twelve years, eight months, and was injured and came out and restarted his life. So welcome. Josh, I know we've caught you at work and your time may be limited, but thank you. It's good to be with you, Mike. Yeah. If you could start off and tell us a little bit about those elements of your life that you think are important in this period of your life. You're not a work in progress anymore. You've, You've got your career started and you'll have all sorts of possibilities and different successes in the future. But how are you doing today? Your family, all of those things are what our listeners are really interested in
1: I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for asking and I would say first off, I've got a family, wife, five children, and my oldest daughter's married. We had our first grandchild um, that's May, so we've got a ten month about a ten month old granddaughter. We still have three of the kids at home, so we got three boys and two girls, and my three of the kids, four of the kids were actually born during my active duty days in the air force right and uh, so my wife and the kids have been on this military journey with me from the get go. So I originally enlisted in the Air Force back in 2003. And My career field AFSC was aircrew life support, aircrew flight equipment. Right. So for those listeners out there, that encompasses inspecting and maintaining all the equipment that any aircrew fly within the Air Force on any airframe. So we have to learn a lot of different things when it comes to oxygen equipment, flotation equipment, repacking various parachutes, night vision goggles, helmets, those sorts of things, Bible equipment that goes on the aircraft. And I was also a certified instructor. So I spent a lot of time in the schoolhouse when new air crew come in and receive their initial qualification training and learn how to fly and go through the simulator before they hit the aircraft. I was the guy that sat in the classroom and taught them about all of their life support equipment. So I did that for eight
0: of my thirteen years during active duty time. It's nice it's so important work. We have a few other Air Force members in a variety of jobs that they held. but you know there's so many elements in the military that require really high degree of specialty, and that's pretty much what you had so a little your motivation to join is interesting to a lot of people is only one percent less. Right of our population serve. Each year, I don't know, 100, 150,000 young men and women join. And it's always interesting to to understand either there was one reason or a multitude of reasons that you decided to serve our nation. What was your personal reason or reasons in joining the Air Force? So my I've got a few different reasons. Initially,
1: back in my high school days, I met with Kind of funny. All the recruiters, except the Air Force recruiter, met with all the other branches of service. Met with recruiters and uh, thought about the military. But those high school days when I was younger, I just couldn't quite make that commitment to one aside that dotted line where the government owns me. Mm-hmm. I'm in the military and wearing that uniform. I couldn't quite do it. And so after I was married, my wife was pregnant with our second. I went through a number of years thinking about joining the military on and off, and I got laid off from a job. And we, prior to being laid off just a couple months, we started talking about, hey, maybe we should get in the service and do this thing. And so getting laid off, that just felt like, you know what, it's perfect timing. So I went straight in, just figured, let's go into the Air Force recruiter. I've never met with him before. I've met with all the other branches. And uh, we were really happy with the recruiter I had. And basically six months later, I was off to boot camp and Mm -hmm. my My journey to boot camp was, uh, yeah, I went into boot camp five days before my 26th birthday. I was an older guy. You know, married, had a family already. And I go to boot camp with these, most of them, 18, 19 year old kids. There was a few older guys like me that were married. And obviously we kind of connected immediately because we're married and we've got kids already. And so as the oldest guy in my flight and brother flight at boot camp in San Antonio, Everybody referred to me as Gramps, no, I was the old man. That. And that's kind of how my Air Force journey started. And that's, I never, have regretted one one minute of the thir- just almost 13 years of active duty service that I had before becoming injured. Right. Was, well, I had an amazing career, and my family enjoyed the military life.
0: Obviously, things were altered after wounds, injuries, and illnesses, so. Yeah, I can I understand. I had three sons that are have been in the army, two still active, and all of them married and have children now and raising their children, except third. He came out after six years, went to college and (laughs) got married afterwards. But it's been a a good light for them, raising their kids in military schools and having the security and brotherhood of the military. As parents, we just are very happy about all of that. So after boot camp and in, into your final position there, you were injured in a training mission, which is something that Sentinels has always covered. It is We've always felt that the individuals in training, shipboard, aircraft accidents, even though they may not be overseas, or if they are overseas and injured, were working hard, just like the frontline guys getting shot at, and, on the, and included in the war on terror, as we used to call it. I still call it the war warrant there, but so they, we had decided early on that they were eligible for our scholarships also. So you're one of those. Yeah. Coming back through your transition at the time you got out, did you have, had you started on your degree? So I, I
1: had, yes. I had been to college and had taken probably about two years worth nice. of college credits and then- during my active duty days in that 13-year period, I took college courses on and off, switched my major a few different times. And between promotion and testing and certification within your career field, I tried to fit in some college when I could. You, you know, know I'm I'm sure. family life as well, which is very tough. As you like having sons that have served, yeah. serving. It's a grind, right? That mili- those mili- The military life, the family, and then trying to promote. Move up in rank, certification, and for your career field, that's it's a lot that gets put upon you, but a lot. But I'm a driven guy, and so I just kind of plugged away as I could.
0: Yeah, good for you. Yeah, and I get that too. It is it's hard to fit in the education piece while you're working full time. And the hours, I don't think the general public realizes that you guys are expected to be on post early in the morning and expected you have physical training or PT as they call it. And then get on the job, you don't get home to five or six. And so there's not, and especially if you have a family, it's hard to squeeze in that education. And a lot of guys don't do it. They come out after several years in the military having not taken one course. And that's that's a shame because it's all available to them. But in any case, so moving forward, you got through all the degree requirements. And tell us a little bit about your job today and how you feel about it. And, and again, veterans never stop serving. You're, you're doing good things in your job. So, and I'm sure it has challenges just like the military did. But tell us a little about what you're doing today.
1: Okay. So I work as a behavior specialist in an elementary school, K through six in Provo, Utah. And I'm in my fourth year. So as a behavior specialist, what I do is I work with the kids that are troubled, right? I work with Kids with different, various disabilities, kids that go to special ed. I work with the kids that have the issues with discipline and structure in a classroom. So, all those types of behaviors where kids struggle within a school, I I work with kids. I counsel with kids one on one, small group settings. I help take care of some of those disciplinary issues with students. Unfortunately, when those times happen to help out the Mm -hmm. principal and assistant principal, but I enjoy my job. I love working with the kids as difficult as it is sometimes when you have to deal with those tough situations when kids are a little bit out of control, disobedient to school and and struggling. But for me, it's about since I'm not serving active duty anymore, finding a career, finding somewhere to work where I'm able to be a mentor and an example and to make a difference. I mean, for those of us that have served, it's really hard sometimes when we take that uniform and those combat boots off and it's like, ah, what do I do now? I've been wearing a uniform. I've had this disciplined structure, this opportunity to serve my country, to de- fight and defend. And what do I do now? So for me, this has been a great role for me, transitioning out of the military and back into the work civilian workforce to be able, an example and a mentor to these young kids and to the future generation who's going to yeah. take over as they grow and get older. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's I have a friend who was a minister and I said, boy, it has got to be a tough job. you got to fill the church every Sunday. You've got to get the message across. You have this flock that you're supposed to take care of. And it's gotta, I'm sure it's got to be frustrating at times. And he said, it is. But he said, you look out over that congregation every Sunday. And he said, I say to myself, if I can just help one that is in need that day with the message, I've fulfilled my mission that day. And it's really true. You can't help everybody, but, you know, you can look for the indicators in these children and say, okay, come on and let's talk. And a lot of times they're not getting the kind of talk that they would get from home and they seek other advisors. I know I did as a kid and it's really based on trust, isn't it? they've got to trust you and they've got to, they've got to respect your advice. And so that's probably different for every Young kid, you deal with and a variety of problems. Yeah, you know, I've got a question on. We see every night, I probably watch an hour of news every night, bouncing back and forth between local news, CNN, Fox News. I try to get all the different viewpoints. And we're hearing just a lot about federal and coming across the border and things like that. So outside of the politics of this whole thing, you're up in Utah. Are you seeing a significant increase in you're in the mid, middle school area, are you in elementary? Are you seeing it trickle down to that level in your area? Fortunately, in the specific school that I'm in, no,
1: the school district I'm in, I there, there has been a few problems with some drugs and we're getting some of that stuff that's coming across the border, unfortunately, up this way. We actually have a lot of people that have Fled Mexico and other countries and are moving to Utah, right. and it's so we're starting to get some of that stuff. Fortunately, it hasn't full blown takeoff like it may have in Texas, some of those other smaller sure. states, Cali- southern California. So st- we're still fortunate, but unfortunately, I would I hate to say, but think over time, let's be honest, it's probably going to infiltrate and get a little bit worse, and it's really sad to see. Um, Those types of things kind of hit our schools, especially these kids. They're when we look at social media, electronics. It's a different generation.
0: Oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I uh, we talked to my sons about that. Is that the amount of time they spend on peripherals? Out of the six grandchildren, of course, several of them are very young. One of them's eighteen, seventeen. And she's a voracious reader. I mean, she's just a brain, but she reads. I mean, we travel, and we're driving in the car, and she'll have a book with her. We go on vacation; she's always got a book, and I think it's a huge advantage. Yes. So, so yes, it is. It is totally changed from when I was in school, and you got to stay ahead of that. And I'm sure your school district is implementing the anti-drug education stuff but you know their worlds are so small at that age it's i'm glad you're on top of it yeah Um, we saw first of all congratulations it really has been our honor to work with you and you carry 99.9 percent of the water in this whole deal we just hope that we could help you a little bit that's what sentinels of freedom is we're really an investment company because it's not a charity it's an investment and our return and the people who invest in, in, in veterans like you is seeing you succeed and do good things in your community. So you're a great example of that. Um, I and not everybody is inclined to join the military. You did served us well and sacrificed by doing so. And so we think that we have a responsibility and we're fulfilling that. But one of in closing one of the things I always like to talk to and this comes from my sons is I never ask them about their tours and the gory stuff and they believe me they've been in that but in our conversation especially around their other Ranger buddies when we get together there's always a funny story about a deployment about Ranger school about basic training that they will recall and just create this. Crazy laughter. And so, serving in the military isn't all this very tough, service or serious stuff. There's humor in all of our lives. And I've always found their stories to be fascinating and humorous. And that's what I like to hear. So, I always ask you, Sentinels, when we do these podcasts, to kind of go back in your mind and think of a funny story that happened to you or your buddies or whatever when you were in the military that you'd be willing to share with our listeners. It's a great way to end our podcast on a humorous note and just shows that we're all human. Right.
1: put me on the spot like that. And I, there's so many different, you think of different assignments, different places you've been. I'm going to look past active duty part I'm going to talk. I would say I'll probably share with my involvement with the, Air Force's Wounded Warrior Program, I was injured and going through my medical board and being involved with the Department of Defense Warrior Games and the Invictus Games and competing in the adaptive sports. As I was transitioning and you guys were assisting me and I was doing my education, that was a big part of my rehabilitation, being a part of the Air Force's Wounded Warrior Program. And so many, I've met so many service members who've been wounded, ill, and injured through our wounded warrior programs and the Department of Defense Warrior Games and the Invictus Games at that level, and so many different friends that I've created and made bonds with, not just here nationally in our branches of service, but on the international level too. And yeah. thank you. we had an opportunity a couple of years ago, right before COVID hit. Our AFW 2 branch director took five of us to Ukraine and we had the opportunity to assist and help them and kind of mentor and coach them in specifically wheelchair basketball and sitting volleyball. And what this did was it kind of created, it was the first time within the adaptive sporting community with military service, with Wounded Warrior Games and Invictus Games level where countries came together. So we broke barriers, we created history, and we created this Invictus Unites Initiative, where Mm -hmm. we learn to interact and work together. And we went over there for a week and a half and just had an amazing time, amazing experiences getting to know their Invictus team and their Wounded Warrior athletes and being able to see how they cope and deal with things in a different country and then spending time with them and getting to know them. And we were able to just within a nine-day period, a nine-day trip to Ukraine, create these lo- lifelong lasting friendships yeah, yeah. and relationships yeah. and we just spent a lot of time you know even outside of the training and teaching and coaching aspect going out to dinners in the evenings going around the city of keys okay. having the opportunity to be around other warriors from another country and get to know them and having the laughs and the dinners and the just that time spent together And I think what really brings people together in the military community, especially those of us when we become wounded, ill, and injured, is there is just, you can sit down with somebody and they're from another country, wherever they're from, and there's an immediate bond and connection that you create because of that military service. And then on top of that, because you're wounded or injured because of that service to your country.
0: We had an experienced State Department called us several years ago and said, We've got this Romanian soldier who was, he was in Landstuhl at the time. He's blind and had blown up in Afghanistan. And we're sending him out to Palo Alto, California, to, because there's no blind training in Romania. There's really not a VA. And would you help him out while he's in California? His name is Marios Iovi. And so he was here about a year. And Peggy and I would go down on the weekend and pick him up and bring him to our home and he'd stay with us. And he was just such a wonderful young man. We actually offered to to help him become a U.S. citizen, stay here and help him get trained. He declined that. He wanted to go home to his family, his parents, others. And but I see him once in a while on Facebook and we still communicate. I mean, this is 10 years ago, I think. And he is involved in the Romanian side of the Invictus Games. They have their own kind of national groups in that, that region that, that have the, I think it's called Invictus, but it may be called something else, but he swims and does all that other stuff. And you just look at him and go, like, I mean, horribly disfigured, but his personality and just the, such a kind young man, it was really great to experience that. So I'm glad that you're. We're a part of getting that going over there. They don't have the resources that we have here. They don't. And it's really sad. I mean, even Britain doesn't have as, as robust of uh, uh, resources that we have here. So that's good to hear. And keep it up. It's important it's, as much as you can. There's a life cycle to everything. There yeah. is. So, well, Josh, again, thank you. It's really special for me. This is probably the highlight of what we do at Sentinels is being able to talk with you and catch up and stay in contact. And I know if we have somebody in Utah that's close to you that we're helping, I've got somebody I can call and say, Josh, I've got a I've got a young man or woman that's coming your direction and they're going to need a little mentoring and some big brother advice. So you're continuing to serve in that manner and serving in your school and helping these young kids stay on the right track. So we're very proud of you. Um, Yeah. So I'm going to ask everybody who's listening today to please share this podcast with your friends and family and business associates. It's important that we keep awareness alive or the lamp lit, as I say, about The service and sacrifices of our military members who are now veterans, this will never end. We've still got thousands of veterans to help just from these last two wars. And who knows when we may get into another one. We have troops stationed in about 160 countries around the world in very dangerous positions. Shipboard aircraft, vehicle accident, shooting ranges, all of those things are extremely dangerous and quite frequently we have somebody injured in that. So that's our mission, including helping these veterans is maintaining awareness. And so when you listen to this podcast, please share it and thank you for being a part of something that really is a great thing to do. This is Mike Conklin, Chairman Sentinels of Freedom and Joshua Smith, United States Air Force Retires, signing off.